Hey, Cornerstone, how you guys doing? Can you do me one big favor as we get started? Could you scoot like towards the middle? We're uh, starting to run out of seats and we would love to be able to uh, let people have a seat. If there's any seats that are uh, open beside of you, would you scoot in please? And as you're doing that, I was planning on saying something about the Bears, but then I figured when our two creative arts guys are talking about the Packers, then um, I'm pretty safe. What do they know about football? So um, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. We're in the second week of a series called, our third week of a series called Scandalous. And uh, man, Pastor Lynn has given two incredible messages. And the first week, if you missed it, let me just set, set it up real quick. He talked about skeletons in our closet. And that if we have skeletons in our past, skeletons in the closet, the reality is one day they will come out. One day they will rear their ugly head. So why not deal with them now? And before God, repent and say, I'm sorry for anything that we may need to, but then also make it right with other people. And then last week, Pastor Lynn talked about the authority that God places in our life, whether it's a pastor, a boss, a leader, whatever, that oftentimes the authorities that God puts in our lives, whether they're good or bad, whether they're doing a good job or not, that God places authority in our life to help shape us into the men and the women that he wants us to be. So today we're going to talk about another scandalous story in the Bible. And I don't know about you, but I, those last two weeks I read those stories in the Bible and I'm like, I can't believe it's in there. Like, I mean, I've heard the stories a ton of times, but it's still like, wow, God, you put that kind of a story in your Bible. Well, we've got one of those for you today for sure. Um, but before we go there, just, just imagine with me you're at a wedding, you got an invitation from a, from a friend from a while back you lost contact with, but he sent you an invitation. He invited you to come to his wedding, and you've, you've been out of touch, but you said, hey, you know, I at least want to go and support him in this, on this day. So you go to the wedding, you show up, and like everybody else, the, the guests are filing in. And so as you are filing in, you notice there's like one side that's almost completely full. That would be the bride side. And then the groom side has like three people. Um, and so you're, you're, you find your way to the groom's side and you're sitting there and the wedding gets started and the groomsmen and the, the maids of honor and that kind of thing, they're, they're walking down the aisle and then it comes time for the bride. And so you stand up and all eyes go to the back of the room and the doors open wide. And you're trying to figure out what kind of a wedding march is that? <laughs> what is going on? And so then you look and you see the bride come and you're shocked. She has the blackest black wedding dress you could possibly imagine. A thick black veil covers her face. These lacy black gloves are going up and down her arms and you're thinking, I don't understand. Then they get into the ceremony and it's time to exchange vows and he says something like, I, whoever, take you, whoever, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in adultery and prostitution, in sickness and in health. Did I just hear what I thought I heard? And if you could, if you could call a time out, pull your friend aside and say, hey bud, let's talk, um, what would you say to him? Run. I heard that. That's pretty good advice. Get out of here while you can. What are you thinking? You would think this guy 
you would think he's lost it. You would think he's gone absolutely crazy. And the truth is this. He probably has absolutely gone crazy. Or else there's something going on here that you don't understand. Either he has totally lost it, or there's more to this story than you know. So today we're going to look at a story in the book of Hosea. If you have your Bibles and you turn to like the very, very middle of your Bible, you're probably going to land in one of these very, very large books like Psalm, Isaiah, something like that. Keep going to the right. Isaiah is one of the major prophets, and then you'll have um, Jeremiah, you'll have Ezekiel, a couple other of the major prophets. Then you'll get to Daniel, and following Daniel, keep going right, you'll come to the book of Hosea. Hosea is the first of 12 books that are called minor prophets. They're not called minor prophets because they're less important than the major prophets. They don't have an identity complex, like we're the minor prophets, that's not fair. They're minor prophets because they're shorter in length. But Hosea, like the other minor prophets and prophets in general, has a very specific message that God has called him to give. It's a message that basically goes something like this. You've sinned. Stop it. God's mad. Repent. Because if you don't, he's mad and he's going to get you. But if you repent, he will deliver you, show you mercy, and restore you. So this is Hosea's message, and God God has chosen Hosea to be his prophet to the people of Israel for this time, and it's a very interesting time because in the life of Israel, they are experiencing prosperity like never before. The economy is strong, things are going well, and they're having great success. However, in the middle of their prosperity and in the middle of their success, their hearts have fallen away from God. as hearts often do in times of success. Their hearts have fallen away from God and they're no longer trusting God. They're no longer looking to God for help. And so in the first three chapters of Hosea, you get a story, an illustration that God speaks and we're going to look at that in detail in a few minutes. An unbelievably beautiful yet scandalous story. But chapters 4 through 14, we want to start out there. Chapters 4 through 14, God is laying out some of the concerns he has, some of the issues he has, calling out their disobedience. And let's just flip through some quick passages so we can at least get a highlight of what's going on in these people's lives at this point. Um, and, and, And I want to set it up like this also. There's some good news and there's some bad news. So if you're okay, I'm going to start by giving you the bad news. Is that good? All right, let's do that. So Hosea chapter 4, start in verse 5. The Bible says God is speaking against Israel. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. So you've got to understand, God is talking to his people, his chosen ones. And his chosen ones have ignored him. God says, I've given you the Old Testament. I've given you many of these 
books. I've given you these stories. I've given you the, the truths, the laws that you can follow me, not as rules and regulations, but so you can understand how to maintain a relationship with me. And God says, I've given you these things, and you've ignored them. He said, I've, I've chosen you as my own, and you've rejected me. So because you ignored me, God says, I'm going to ignore you. Because you rejected me, I'm going to reject you. Because God is saying, you don't know me. I'm your God and I chose you and I wrote all these things to tell you about me and my love for you. But the charge is, you don't know me. Go to chapter 6. Verse 4, God brings another charge against Israel. And at this point, Israel is unrepentant. They will not change. They're hard-hearted. So God says, what can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. And this word love is a word for mercy or faithfulness or love. It's a big word in Hosea. And God says this, your love for me, your faithfulness, your mercy is like a vapor. It's gone. And this is interesting because this is the God that the Bible declares over and over again never fails. His love endures forever. And he's looking at his people and saying, although I'm a God whose love endures forever, I'm always faithful. Your faithfulness is like a vapor. It's gone. You're committed to me. You're dedicated to me. And then you're following after something else. And he says, if you follow after anything else that's not me, then what you are following is like a vapor. It's there, and then it's gone. You you can follow after retirement, and you could say, I'm going to go after investing in my 401k, and I'm going to try to to have it. But guess what? It's a vapor because in 2008, it's there, and then poof, 2010, it's gone. Or, or some people seek after beauty and they're, they're, they're in love with beauty and they're, they're trying to get more and more of that. And, and then you realize beauty is vanishing. You look in the, the mirror one morning and your skin is perfect. Your hair is, is styled just like you want it. And then you wake up the next morning and you're like, I'm old. When did I turn 40? Just kidding. But it's a vapor. It's there. And then it's gone. And he says, your love is like a vapor. It's like a mist. It's like the morning dew that disappears. Verse five, he says, therefore I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with words of my mouth. But I thought the Bible said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. That's not in the Bible. And it's not true. And God says, I killed you with the words of my prophets. My judgments flashed like lightning upon you. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. An acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. This is what God says. First of all, he says, you don't know me. Now he says, you don't love me. I love you and I've given myself to you and I've, I've called you as my people, yet you reject me, you ignore me, and you're dedicated to me for a short season and then just like a vapor, it's gone. And he says, therefore, I'm gonna kill you with the words of my mouth, my prophet's slay you with their words. And he says, because I, listen to this, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. God didn't come to set up a religion. 
This Bible is not written to have religion. The Bible is written, Scripture is given for a relationship. And it's not about a bunch of rules to follow and a bunch of things to do. It's about how do I have a relationship? How do I have a relationship with my Father in heaven who loves me? And God says, you've rejected that relationship. And you've ignored my laws. God doesn't sound very happy right now, does he? Look in verse, or chapter 13. One more example. Verse 4. God says to Israel, but I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Let me just tell, say this here. He, he's reminding them, I brought you out of Egypt. Not only in Genesis chapter 1 is he the God that created them. He called them as his own people in Genesis through Abraham. And then you jump to the book of Exodus and you see this guy named Moses comes on the scene. And Moses comes on the scene when God's people, the Israelites, are slaves in a foreign land in the land of Egypt. But God says, I see the oppression of my people and I want to help them. I want to rescue them and deliver them. So God comes up with a plan. And he says, Moses, I want you to lead my people to be free. And so Moses goes before Pharaoh. Pharaoh won't let the people go. So God brings plagues. And these plagues eventually convince Pharaoh, let God's people go. So as God's people are let go, Pharaoh changes his mind. And he says, send the army out and destroy those people. And the people come up against this great sea. And they're trapped. And then God parts the sea, divides the waters in two, and the people pass on dry ground. And so God reminds them here in this verse, I am the Lord your God. I'm the one who did that. You didn't come up with that plan on your own. I brought you out of Egypt. So you shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. Verse 5, I cared for you in the desert, in the land of burning heat. When I fed them, they were satisfied. But when they were satisfied, they became proud. God says, not only did I deliver you through a sea when an army was coming to attack you, but I also, when you were hungry in the desert and you were wandering around, I fed you. And when you were thirsty and you were lost and didn't know where to find drink, I provided water for you. I met your every need. He said, but then you became satisfied and then you became proud. God said, I'm the one who provided for you. Why did you take credit for it? Why did you become proud? And there's a vicious cycle that goes on and on throughout the Old Testament where, where God calls his people and God chooses his people and they, they respond and they sing songs like we sing and they love him. And then a little time passes and they begin to go their own ways and forget about him and reject him. And then God comes back on the scene and they say, God, we're sorry, we're so sorry. Please forgive us. And God says, okay, I forgive you, I love you. And then they go to their own ways and they fall away. And then again, they come back to God over and over and over again. That's the story of Scripture. And God says in verse 7, he sounds like he's a little bit tired of that. So I will come upon them like a lion, like a leopard, I will lurk by the path. Like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and rip them open. Like a lion, I will devour them. And like a wild animal, will tear them apart. God is conveying the seriousness of disobedience, the seriousness of sin. That's, that sin is not something that we just deal lightly with, but God is saying this is serious and I am God and I will not be mocked. 
So this is what he does in chapters 4 through 14. He paints this picture of disobedience, this cycle of of disobedience, but at times he still speaks and says, but I love you and and I want to rescue you, but you've got to turn back to me. So flip back to chapter 1 and we'll see an illustration of a real life example of how this happened. And so if you can understand Hosea 1 through 3, you can understand the whole book of Hosea. You can understand the gospel story and what God really wants to do in our lives. So Hosea chapter 1, we'll start reading in verse 2. So when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. What? Go marry an adulterous woman? God, are you sure? God, what are you talking about here? The, the best that we can understand in, in the commentators that I've read, God is, is saying something like this. Go take as your wife a woman who will commit adultery on you. She will break your heart. She will destroy that covenant marriage. She's going to do this, but I want you to marry her anyway. And your marriage to this adulterous woman who she eventually becomes a prostitute. Your marriage to this woman will serve as an example to all of Israel for how I treat them. And God is saying, I'm like a husband madly in love with my people Israel. And they keep breaking my heart. So Hosea has to live this out. So look at the next verse, verse three. So he, Hosea, married Gomer. Can we just stop there for a second? Let's just be honest. (laughs) Okay, if you're here today and you're a lady and your name is Gomer, I just want to tell you, we love you still. And if you're a lady and you're pregnant and you're having a, a baby girl sometime soon and you're considering the name Gomer, Can I just tell you, we have counselors that'll be at the front at the end of the service that would love to talk with you and pray with you. Gomer. Okay, so he married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived, and you gotta notice these these words, and bore him a son, bore Hosea a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and will put an end Uh, the kingdom of Israel. And in that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. So basically they have a son and the Bible is very clear to tell us it's Hosea's son. And God comes to Hosea and says, I want you to name this boy Jezreel. Jezreel is a very important thing for the Israelites because it's the name of a city. And way back in 2 Kings, the book of 2 Kings, there was a king named Jehu. And Jehu was leading the nation and and. He did some things that were just absolutely disastrous. And he had this massacre where he killed all of these people and just absolutely disobeyed God. And God comes on the scene here. All of Israel would have known this story. And God comes on the scene here and he says, I didn't forget about Jezreel. I didn't forget about that sin. Sin is serious. And he says, this son of yours, Hosea, that you're having now is going to be an example that every time anyone hears this name, they'll be reminded of future judgment that's coming unless they repent. So every time you call to your son, hey, Jezreel, take out the trash. 
There's a reminder of the seriousness of sin. Jezreel, dinner's ready. There's a reminder of the seriousness of sin. The story goes on and tells us that um, Gomer has a second child, a daughter this time, but it leaves out the fact that it's Hosea's child. And so scholars think most likely this was the child of adultery. And God comes to Hosea and says, I want you to name your daughter Loruhamah, which means no mercy, no compassion. So every time you call to your daughter, Loruhamah, you're reminded of disobedience. They have another child, a boy this time, or Gomer has another child. There again, most likely a child of adultery, and God comes to Hosea and says, I want you to name this boy Lo-Ami, which means not my people. So every time you call Lo-Ami, you're faced with the reality of God's wrath towards sin. God is saying, you are my people that I've sought after you, but you've rejected me, therefore I reject you. And so Hosea sets up this scene where this is going on. And if I'm writing this story, can I just be honest? I've got it out for Gomer. I mean, I'm going to make her miserable. I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I'd be nice and just say, okay, Gomer, you want to be a prostitute? Well, here, gain 75 pounds. Big Pinocchio nose with a wart on the end of it. I don't know, some way to make her suffer, some way to hurt her, some way to, to shame her and embarrass her, some, some way to say your sin comes with a cost. That's the way I would write it. It's a good thing I'm not God. And so what happens is, God shifts gears a little bit as he goes into chapter 2 and he's calling out sin. But then in chapter 2, verse 14, something amazing happens. God gives light in darkness. God gives hope in the midst of chaos like he always does. And he says, though sin is very serious and though I am very upset at your sin, I'm still a God of love. And God lays out This case, and so remember I told you there was some bad news. We've already got the bad news. There's some really, really, really good news. And if you understand this news, you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Hosea chapter 2, starting verse 14. God says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. Talking about the adulterous nation, the people who have forsaken him. I'm going to allure her, and I will lead her into the desert And speak tenderly to her. So God says, just like a a husband after his bride, I'm going to allure her. I'm going to try to win her over. Now, Now, you may be here today, and this sounds awfully strange to your ears. Because when you think about God, you think about a dictator up in heaven who is daring you to make a mistake, daring you to mess up. And he's keeping an account saying, oh, strike one, strike two, just ready to give you strike three. Or maybe you're somebody else and and you think of God more of he's stoic and unmoved. Not even concerned about the affairs of your life. But the portrait of God in Hosea is the portrait of a loving husband who is jealous for his bride and who allures her and woos her and speaks to her heart the words she needs to hear. And the words are, I still love you. I still accept you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've 
went with sin. It doesn't matter how long you've been gone. I still love you. So God comes to woo her back and to tell her how much he loves her. Look at the next verse, chapter 2, verse 15. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. So the valley of Achor is a very important reminder of disobedience in the life of Israel. If you were to flip back to Joshua, you would see that when God leads his people into the promised land, they have some battles that they have to fight. And and God says, I'm going to give you victory. If you follow me, if you trust me, I'm going to give you victory. And so God gives them victory after victory after victory. And then all of a sudden, huge defeat. And they're embarrassed and ashamed and they're dismayed. Why did we fail? What went wrong? And what happens is they discover that this guy named Achan in Joshua chapter 7 stole some things that he wasn't supposed to steal, took them to his tent, hid them under his tent. And because of his disobedience, the whole entire nation suffered this defeat. And so the valley of Achor is a place of shame. It's a place of failure for the Israelites And here God speaks to his people and he says, do you remember the valley of Achor? I'm going to take you back to your most embarrassing place, your your biggest failure, and I'm going to make that place a door of hope. And he would say the same thing to you today. Your greatest shame in life, your greatest area of failure or guilt, God's redeeming love takes us back to that place of pain. And delivers us through it, redeems it, and uses it to bring him honor and glory. And he says, I'm going to take you back to that valley of Achor. Look at verse 19. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. Three times God says these words, I will betroth you. And what he is saying as a loving husband to his bride who's been disobedient to his bride who has fallen far, far away, he's saying, I will betroth you. Basically, I will get engaged to you again. I'll give you the ring. I'll put it on your finger. Although your sin has made you dirty, although you're ashamed of who you are and where you've been, I will do it again. There's a fresh start for the prostitute. There's a clean slate for the harlot. That it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. God still loves you. And if you turn back to him, he will make a door of hope in that deepest, darkest place. And if you will acknowledge the Lord, he will show his love and compassion, his faithfulness and his righteousness to you yet again. I mean, you may be thinking, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. You don't don't know who I am. And you're right, but I do know a prostitute, an adulterer, who left her husband, left her kids, did all kinds of things, and God still said, but I love you, and I want you back. So if there's hope for the prostitute, there's hope for me and you. If there's hope for the adulterer, there's hope for all of us. There's no one who is off limits. The Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God. A couple of you believe it. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Look at verse 23. He says, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called Loruhamah. 
not my loved one. I will say to those called lo ami, not my people. You are my people. And they will say in response back to me, you are our God. So God says those people, when they turn back to me that once were not a people, now they are my people. And those people that I was angry at, I didn't even show them compassion, when they turn in repentance back to me, I give them grace. The New Testament speaks to this idea in 1 Peter chapter 2. The Bible says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is what God wants to do in our lives. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm a person and I've never received his mercy. God wants to show you his compassion. Maybe you don't know what the love of God is. God wants to show you what that is. Maybe you feel like you don't belong anywhere. You're not anybody's people. God says, I want you to be my people. You belong to me. So back to Hosea. The story goes something like this. He's married to Gomer. She runs around on him, has a child, runs around on him again, has another child. At some point in the journey, she just leaves him. She just gives up. She just says, forget about it. I'm going my own way. She goes, lives with other men. It's not working out too well for her, so sells herself into prostitution to make it. Now she's a prostitute, somebody's property, and they sell her into slavery. Who knows? Only God knows what she's doing in slavery. And God comes again to Hosea in chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again. Again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought, for her, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and, a, and some grain, basically. He's like, so I bought her for 15 pieces of silver and some grain. And I think, okay, wait a minute. After everything she's done to you, you go and love her again. You go and receive her back. So something interesting happens here that we've got to understand this. He goes to wherever she is, he finds her. And the problem is, he can't just walk up on the scene and say, she's my wife, give her to me. Because she's a slave. She has a price on her head. He can't just say, but, but I love her. Come back with me. She has a debt to be paid. And so he goes on the scene and he finds Gomer and, and he realizes that there's a price on her. And, and even though she's his wife and even though he still loves her, he can't just claim her. He has to pay the debt. So he's evidently not a wealthy man. He doesn't have the full price to pay. So he pays half in cash and he pays in grain with the other half and he brings his wife back and begins to restore her. 
and woo her and court her all over again and show his love to her. But, but we can't miss this. Just because she is his wife, he can't say, hey, I want you. He has to pay a price because her rebellion came at a great price. Her wondering and her sin racked up a debt. So the Bible tells us, this isn't the most encouraging part of the message, but the Bible tells us that we are all spiritual prostitutes. We've turned our back on God. We've ran after other things. We've sought love and affection from things and, and people other than God. And God says, our rebellion and our disobedience has created a debt, a price that we owe. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin, the debt of sin, is death. That all of us owe this because sin is part of who we are as human beings. And we owe this debt, and, and the problem is we have a debt that we can't pay. We don't have the resources to pay it off. So what do we do? Here's the bad news. We can't do anything. But then here's the good news. God did something. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, understand this. You've got you've to get this. God doesn't say, get your act together, then come to me, and then I will accept you. If you clean yourself up and get yourself right, then you come to me, I'll accept you. The Bible says in our rottenness, in our filth, in our prostitution, in our adultery, in our betrayal, in the midst of our sin, Jesus Christ died on a cross for us. He paid the price, he paid the debt that we could not pay. And just like Hosea redeemed his wife who had broken his heart, Jesus Christ redeemed us. The ones who had betrayed him. The ones who had broken his heart. And he comes and he redeems us. Look with me in 1 John 1, 9. The verse will be on the screen. What are we to do? How are we to, to respond if we realize we have a debt? The Bible says this is what we do. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Look at the verse real quick. Look at it. It says, if we confess, if we agree with God, God, I've messed up, I've blown it, I've sinned. If we say, God, I, I realize the only hope for me now is you, Jesus. That's confessing our sins. It says something very interesting. It says he's faithful and he's just. It doesn't say he loves us. The Bible doesn't say, well, God loves you, and because he loves you, oh, don't worry about your sin. Sweep it under the rug. Put it in a closet. God loves you. Be happy. He says, because of your sin and because God is faithful and just, and because he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross, that's the justice of God, then we can be forgiven, and then we can be cleansed, and we can be set free. And there again, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter how far sin has taken you away or how long sin has kept you. It doesn't matter. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And my prayer today is that you would understand 
how great the love of God is that you would understand that yes, you are broken and yes, we are all jacked up and yes, we all have our issues but even so, if we will run to God and if we will in confession trust in who Jesus is to forgive us, he will set us free and he will love us but it's not just one of these emotional kinds of love, it's a redeeming love. It's a love that sets us free. It's a love that takes us back to the place of our greatest failure, to the place of our shame. And it says, even that, even that I will use for my glory. So who are you today? Do you need to hear the voice of God speak to your soul? I love you with a redeeming love. I've not turned my back on you. I, I want you as my own. Do you think, but, but I've done too much. Maybe today is the day you realize God's love is greater still. Greater than anything you can do. Let's pray. Father, we call out to you right now in thanks and we say, God, you are so great. And even a story like this, God, it's, it's still hard for us to wrap our minds around that, that a prostitute who absolutely destroys the, the marriage and absolutely breaks the heart of her husband, that she is still loved. And that's another worldly kind of love. That's a redeeming, faithful love. And there's some of us, God, who have never experienced that kind of love. We've never seen eyes of compassion that look at us even in our brokenness and accept us. God, I pray that today would be the day. That today would be the day that you move. And I just, I just ask you just for a moment, would everybody please close their eyes? And we're just gonna have a time of prayer, but I wanna know if, who I'm praying for. And, if you're here today and, and you just would say, Aaron, I, I really need to hear God say, I love you. I, I feel so far from him. I just pray that today I could hear God say, I love you. Would you just slip up your hand so I can know? Maybe you're here today and maybe you would even be so bold to admit, I've, I've messed up my life and I just need to be forgiven and I didn't think anybody could forgive me because of what I've done. Can I just say, God will forgive you. You haven't gone too far. As a husband, looking at his bride, God doesn't look at you and see ugliness. He sees pure beauty. And he doesn't keep you at a distance. He brings you near to embrace you and to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. God, fill us with your love. Fill this place, God, with your love. In Jesus' name.